You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of The Dr. Tina Show, I'm sitting down with my friend, Courtney Swan of Real Foodology. Courtney holds a master's of science in nutrition and integrative health. She is the CEO and founder of Real Foodology, which is a podcast, a blog, and an awesome Instagram account. She is a smart lady, and we have been talking back and forth over the past few years about how eerily similar what is happening today with COVID is really just a cut and paste of what happened with big tobacco in the 80s and later on most recently with Monsanto. We are breaking down the corruption that is the modern day food supply. We're talking about the bizarre love triangle that is occurring between food manufacturers, big agriculture, and big pharma, and we're breaking it down for you today. I hope you enjoy it. So we are going to blow the lid off the off big agriculture and the food industry, and I'm so excited to have you here today. Uh, would you introduce yourself for the audience so everybody knows? Because I could speak accolades about you. We met online on Instagram, and we have been friends through this whole pandemic. We have exchanged a lot of similar frustrations. And I am very excited about the ideas that you brought up for this podcast today. So introduce yourself to the audience. Thank you. My name is Courtney Swan, and I am the founder of Real Foodology, which is a podcast. It's also an Instagram. It actually originally started as a food blog when I was in school getting my master's. So I got my master's of science in nutrition and integrative health 10 years ago. And I'd started this little food blog. I was actually, um, I was inspired by, I don't know if your listeners know who Vani Hari is, but she's known as the food babe. And I had found her work and I was so intrigued by everything that she was revealing about the food industry, which is a lot of what we're going to go into today. Um, And I felt like at the time I really needed an outlet just to talk about everything that I was learning. And uh, I was also, you know, getting my master's in nutrition. So there was like, I was, you know, putting out recipes and just so excited to share with the world everything that I was learning about health and wellness and nutrition. Because what I learned throughout that process is that so much of this information is not widely available and widely known. And so I felt like uh, it was my responsibility knowing this information that I needed to get it out to people because it's so important. I find it to be one of the most important things that uh, we learn in life because what's more important than your health? Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that uh, I have told people from the beginning of this pandemic, and I said this before, if you don't have a basic understanding of nutrition, I think you're going to be dead in the water. I just think that people who don't understand how nutrition affects them, how to read food labels, how to basically navigate this corrupt system are going to never really be able to optimize their health. And so having sort of a nutrition 101 understanding is a key component to being a human being on this planet. And that's a really priceless gift that you offer the world and that you talk about on your Instagram where I first discovered you. And then I was honored to be a guest on your podcast. And I love your podcast. I think that people either don't want to hear it by watching. I watch your, you know, we talk, (laughs) we we both have to self-censor a lot and we both deal with a lot of hags coming at us. And I will just say it out loud. They are just mean, bitter hags sometimes. And you get it like I do. And it's, extremely frustrating because I look at your work and I look, I can tell where you're coming from much as I am. We're not bitches. We are really trying to help and people really come down on you hard for it. I think to be honest, I think part of it's because you're a beautiful woman and you're thin and they can't imagine that you would have any clue what you're talking about. Right. So like, how would you know if you haven't suffered through what they've suffered? So anyway, 
I'm excited to talk about today. We're going to hit the big points, right? GMOs, Monsanto. And what did you say to me offline? You said it so succinctly. Oh, I wanted to talk about um, what Monsanto did. When, so actually, just so people, so there's clarification, it's now owned by Bayer. So Bayer is what owns uh, what is left of Monsanto. But Monsanto, uh, at the height of everything, they were practicing, um, they were just practicing the playbook from big tobacco. So if we remember, we look back in history, which is really important, as we've learned in the past two years, um, with big tobacco, they were paying off lawyers, they were paying off scientists to skew the data, they were paying off doctors to tell their patients that cigarettes were safe, they were hiding the data that was coming out about how horrible and detrimental to our health that cigarettes were. And then we saw the exact same thing go down with Monsanto and glyphosate. And this is why you and I both are trying to sound the alarm so aggressively right now on our Instagrams because we see that it is going down this same path that just now, I think it's like 11 years or something later, we are now finally starting to like really talk about in mainstream media all of the detrimental effects on our health of glyphosate. And for those listening that don't know what glyphosate is, it was Monsanto's like baby, like prized baby of a pesticide. I, I believe it's actually technically an herbicide. And it is widely sprayed all over all of our crops, um, most notably uh, soybeans, wheat, corn. And the problem is, is that we were 10 years ago, we knew that it was causing detrimental effects on our health. It's causing cancer. Um, we were seeing all the effects of it. And I felt like 10 years ago, I was trying to sound the alarm and no one was listening. And now they are finally, I mean, they are in massive litigations. All you have to do is type in Monsanto litigations and they are losing billions right now in, in the courts because so many farmers are now able to sue them because they got crazy forms of cancer from it. Yep. There was a movie that Jerry uh, Garcia from The Grateful Dead, his wife made, maybe you saw it, called The Future of Food. And it came out, I want to say almost 20 years ago, and it was about Monsanto, and it was about the food supply. And so the, so the listeners understand what they did was not just create glyphosate as a spray. They made up, it's Roundup. That's what Roundup is, is glyphosate. They made their Roundup-ready crops. And so this movie was about the monopoly that they were going to have, which they now have, over the food supply of the world. Uh, these Roundup-ready crops were you know, uh, patented. And yep. so you had to sign, you know, you, if you were a farmer growing Roundup Ready crops, you had an agreement with Monsanto. And then Monsanto would come into adjacent farms and say, hey, sorry to tell you, but some of our Roundup Ready corn is growing in your field. So we're now taking your farm. And this behavior was happening in the US. It was happening throughout the world. At the time, Indian farmers were committing suicide because of it. I mean, it was horrific what was going on. And I remember running around kind of like I have been the past two years, like a crazy person trying to sound the alarm and nobody gave a shit about what I had to say. They were like, oh, Tina, you're taking your naturopathic schooling too seriously. You're, you're getting a little too excited. I mean, even to this day, my mom's like, yeah, you thought you had every disease. And I'm like, mom, seriously, I was trying to tell you what was going on. And so then about 10 years ago, my mom starts sending me emails about Monsanto. And she's like, can you believe this is happening? And I'm like, yeah, I can. And I don't fucking care at this point, mom, because I tried to tell you and nobody listened to me. <laughs> Everybody told me I was taking it too seriously. Yeah. And now they own the foods. It's too late, right? They, I mean, thankfully, they are getting sued in court, but same playbook. And we're seeing it now with Big Pharma. Yep. And you oh and I God, were like, it's... how are people not seeing this? 
Well, and that's why I think you, I've heard you say this as well. I feel like these last two years, I've never been more prepared for this time because the last 10 years, I've been watching everything that went down with Monsanto and GMOs and, you know, the hiding of all the data. So when I started seeing all this stuff happening these last two years, I was like, oh, this is copy and paste. They are literally doing the same thing right now. They're hiding it. And the most frustrating thing is that it's right in front of our very eyes. You don't even have to dig that deep to see it, to find it. Oh my God. And, you know, and go to go back to what you were saying about the farmers. Another thing that they were doing is they were purposefully planting those crops next to farmer, like small farms. And then when they would blow off into their farms, they would go and they would sue them because they were Mm -hmm. patented seeds and they were completely just putting all these farmers out of business. Yeah. And it was, it was destroying. I mean, these are, I live on a farm. That's a family farm. That's their land. They've had it since my uh, husband was born. And I live around many family farms. Ryan, my husband, Ryan knows all of them. He's like, oh, that's old Mrs. So-and-so and and that's Mr. So-and-so. And these are generational farms, right? And right now I watch monocropping happening all around me and it's horrifying, Courtney. Every season I watch them. Well, you heard me last, what was it, last summer when they were tilling the fields and I was texting you furiously. I'm like, they're killing the fields. They were, they were tilling the fields to death. The I'll say this because I don't even think my husband listens to my podcast. Um, We had four foot tall, beautiful red clover growing in our fields. And I guess it had been there for a few years and it was gorgeous and it wasn't full of weeds and it made beautiful hay. And we rent the land to a family who's a really wonderful family. Well, they decided to change the crop last year. And so they tilled it and they tilled the heck out of it and they killed the soil. And I may not be a farmer, but I am a biologist. And I remember walking across the soil and it was just powder. There was nothing left. And I said, you just destroyed the lungs of your of your field. Like it's, it's not going to grow. And he said, no, 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 they planted grass. And I said, it doesn't matter. It's not going to grow. And we had a joke. I mean, at first I was joking and then he got quite frustrated with me because <laughs> it wasn't funny because it wasn't growing. But, um, I was like, I'll bet you $10,000 this crop doesn't grow. And he said, fine, you're on. And a few months later, it still hadn't grown. And I was like, all right, you owe me 10 grand. And he's like, oh, it was not good. We had a fight, but <laughs> Yeah, that was not good. He, he, didn't, he didn't like that. He's like, you stick to medicine, I'll stick to farming. And I'm like, well, this kind of is medicine. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's, you know, Soil but medicine. It, yeah. Um, anyway, they replanted it. And that this crop is growing not as heartily as I'd like. But the crop behind this huge field behind us, it looks like an ocean of brown. That was wheat. They turned it into soybeans, I think, last year. And uh, I, it was so interesting. I wanted to give you a play by play. The bugs changed in the air. The amount of bugs, the type of bugs the aggressiveness of the bees changed. Um, the weather was different this year. The So that was part of it. But the blackberries were different. Like the whole ecosystem shifted. And I don't think it was just because of how hot the summer was last summer. I think a lot of it had to do with the difference in the crops and the monocropping. And then not to mention the trucks with the giant glyphosate, you know, which makes oh, me lose my mind. Like I... Same lose my mind because I'm sitting in a house in the middle of it and it's spray all around me. And so I start blocking the windows and the doors. But anyway, I mean, that's my own issue to deal with that. I I'm, I'm getting used. I'm finally getting the farmers to let me know when they're going to spray so I can be gone at least. Yeah. But oh man, God, it's, that's horrible. it's really awful to watch. And I think it would deeply disturb anybody who had even an inkling of what was going on. I didn't know this is how it worked. The amount of water that they put on that field behind us and the amount of work and labor and just time that went into just one monocrop. Like explain to people what that means, why that's bad. 
Okay, so if you think about on a normal stretch of land, like how we used to farm, you would have a plethora, a variety of all these different plants, right? So monocropping is basically when they just dedicate one piece of land for one type of crop. And more uh, famously, we do that with soy, soy, corn, and wheat. And we do that because we want to yield high production of it, right? But what happens is that you lose that diversity in the soil because you don't have all these other uh, different plants and varieties to feed the soil. And then you add insult to injury by spraying it super heavily with pesticides, which you know, it's not just killing the pest itself. Think about what it's doing to the microbiome in that soil. Um, everyone listening should go and watch the film Kiss the Ground on Netflix. They talk very in-depth about this and probably way more than I can. But they talk about how in one, like, teaspoon of soil, there is more microbes than there have, like, ever existed in, like, ever. Like there's, there's so many, or that doesn't really make sense, but I'm like, there's so many microbes that you can't even imagine in one little teaspoon. So imagine that stretched out an entire spread of land and we're killing it off with the pesticides and then we're tilling it, like you said, and tilling is taking off that top soil. So it's completely destroying the soil. And you should look it up, the difference between monocropping soil versus regenerative farming. And it's, it's frightening, the difference. And the problem is, is what's happening is that we are creating this problem where this soil can only be planted in for so long because we're killing off all of the microbes that feed those plants. Because think about those microbes are, they serve a purpose. We're killing them off. And those are what give life to those plants and give the nutrients that you need. So then when we're growing these crops, we're not getting all the vitamins and minerals in there that we used to. And then on top of that, we only get to plant for a couple cycles instead of what we normally do, which is rotate. And you give the, the land a chance to regenerate, um, you know, kind of like get back to its normal state and then you can plant it again. But we're just doing we're just constantly just planting, over planting on it and spraying and it's destroying everything. And, and then on top of that, I, I feel like, the, you know, the climate change is a huge conversation right now. Right. And everyone's going after the wrong villains. The problem is, is this monocrop agriculture that we're doing right now. What we need to be doing is focusing on regenerative farming, which doesn't do the tilling, so it leaves the topsoil intact. We're not using and spraying all these pesticides that are killing off all the bugs. It actually keeps and restores that healthy microbiome. And what they do is they, um, so they use animals as part of their like farming practices, and they will fence off certain portions of the farm to let it regrow, let it do its thing, and they'll move the animals throughout the property so that it gives all these plants a chance. And then on top of that, which is the most important thing, is that they have a d diverse variety amount of plants. You know, they're growing spinach and kale and all this stuff. They're not just growing corn or just growing soy. And then with this process, what happens is um, it captures carbon from the atmosphere and brings it back down into the soil, which is food for the microbiome of the soil. And then it's also reversing climate change for us because we're getting all that carbon out of the atmosphere. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I live in wine country, so it's that's also a monocrop. It's yeah. really wild out here. It's beautiful when you drive through it, but then you realize what's going on and you what realize the monocropping. And it's like, oh, it's it's really hard to to know what we know and to see the world through our eyes. And, you know, you to someone looking in even my husband you know he's grown up out here he understands farming i'm sure far better than i do but he's looking at it and to him it's one way and to me i'm like 
oh my God, like, do you understand the implications of this long term, right? It's not even, so we've got that, we've got the environmental impact The like I said, the ecology out here completely changed for, just from the shifting in the crop. And the they talk, sorry to interrupt you, but they talk about this on Kiss the Ground, actually. So um, there were some farmers that they interviewed on this documentary that actually went from conventional farming to regenerative because there were three, there was one farmer in, uh, specifically who had three years in a row that he did not yield anything, like zero crops, because it was messing with the weather systems because of all of the pesticides and the tilling and everything was literally causing um, hailing and all these crazy thunderstorms. The second that he started practicing regenerative farming, he had rain, he had normal weather systems again. It's really crazy how it actually affects, it affects everything, the entire Mm -hmm. ecosystem. It's so, it was so wild to watch. And I thought maybe I was making it up. There was a difference in the energetics out here, the deer, the coyotes. I mean, everything was different. And I did, I couldn't put my finger on it. But And then the blackberries were just these sad little shriveled up things. I think it's because they got so overly watered by the watering of the soybean field. And then to add to it, the heat that came, we had a, we had some, you know, flashes of rather hot weather. And I just was, as a biologist watching it all, it just was mind, it was mind blowing. It was baffling to me. And it was also... I couldn't imagine what it was doing to the health of the people working the fields. You know, like how unhealthy is it to be bathing in these pesticides all the time? But we digress. Let's talk about how it's now let's talk about the regular average average everyday person who doesn't care about any of this. (laughs) This is so so far detached from their reality that it doesn't matter. What's happening to them? What happened in the 90s when the food system shifted to hyper palatable, scientifically studied, you know, the bliss point and the seed oils and all of that. Like, where are we? Bring us to that and then to here. So basically what happened is our food palates got hijacked and people didn't even realize that we were no longer eating food. We were eating food like products. And the problem with these is that they are tricking your brain. One, uh, tricking you into never having a stop point. So there are literally food scientists whose entire job is to formulate that food to make it just like at that sweet spot, the bliss point, which is where it's just like salty, sweet and fatty enough to where you can, you literally can't stop eating it. Like think about when someone opens a bag of Doritos around you and you're just like, next thing you know, the whole bag is gone. And you're just like, I don't, I don't even feel full. I don't, I've never like eaten this much food, but I feel like I couldn't stop. No one binge eats on, you know, like salmon or like mashed potato, maybe mashed potatoes, if really <laughs> you know, my mom's mashed potatoes. Maybe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there is that stark difference of like, you don't feel like you literally can't stop eating, you know, your salmon or your mashed potatoes. Whereas with Doritos or something highly palatable um, and highly processed like that, there is this element of you, you almost feel like you're under a trance with it. Like it, and it's, it's done like that for a reason. And the problem is, is that now um, our bodies are not recognizing this as food and uh, essentially ends up being empty calories in the sense that you're not getting any sort of nutrients from that at all. So your body is kind of like, okay, so we had all this, it's almost like just eating air that's causing a lot of damage to your body because your body's like still starving for nutrients, which is why we're seeing an epidemic of um, obese people that are completely devoid of all their nutrients. I mean, they'll get like, you know, hormonal panels done and 
just general panels done and their their vitamins and minerals are almost non-existent because they're not eating real food. Right. They're totally malnourished. They're overfed and malnourished. That's America. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, on top of that, we also had a thing in the 70s. Do you know about that Harvard study that they they paid these scientists off to? So what happened was they found that the leading cause of heart disease was actually sugar, not fat. But the sugar industry got a hold of this and they paid these scientists off to say that it was actually fat that was causing heart disease. Well, then, of course, you know, spark off the low fat movement that happened in the 80s. I mean, we're still kind of trying to clean up that mess now. People are still thinking that eating low fat is good for you because what happened was we replaced the fat with sugar because fat, uh, it, it uh, creates that mouthfeel. It really gives food like a good taste. And so they had to replace it with something to make the food taste good. And so now all of a sudden everyone's eating these super highly palatable, really sugary treats thinking that they're doing the healthy right thing. And this is really what, in my mind, skyrocketed the obese epidemic. Oh, yeah. Well, let's take that a step backwards. That was actually triggered by the pharmaceutical industry because they had brought statins to market. And there's a book called Prescribing by Numbers where they go, it's infuriating. The, it was the movement of pushing statins. They basically hijacked the colleges or the medical schools and started indoctrinating the students there to be pro-statin, anti-fat. And this was a movement done by a group of vegetarians of course. And Big Pharma. Yeah, I, I don't have the whole story straight. The book breaks it down, though. Um, but there was instead of, hand, you know, this was the advent of the pharmaceutical rep and coming in and getting doctors to believe whatever the story was. And so we have the pharmaceutical industry adamantly wanting to push statin drugs and needing a fall guy. So fat was the fall guy. Fat, you know, and then if you even take it back even further to the the whole metabolic, or I'm sorry, the whole Mediterranean diet, right? And that that data was rigged as well. They took what was his name that who did that study? I'm 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 blanking today. Was on names. it? It wasn't Ansel Keys, was it? Yes, it was Ansel it was. Keys. Okay, I couldn't remember if it was him. Yeah. You know, he 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 handpicked. He took that graph that when he looked. First of all, that study was done during a war, and so people were rationing food, and they weren't. The soldiers were coming in and taking all the sheep and taking all the livestock. So these people were forced to be eating grains and bread and olive oil because that's all they had. Because they normally eat a very high fatty diet of their own animals that they were raising. So then he plotted it all on a graph, and he picked out the countries that didn't suit his agenda. So the Mediterranean study from Ansel Keys was rigged. And then later, the statin thing led to the sugar industry basically d doing what you just said, covering up the whole sugar thing. And so in the 90s, I know that the all of the big food corporations got together and had a meeting and they knew that they were driving obesity in the early 90s. They knew that they were responsible for this. And I think it was Kraft or General Mills. One of the big guys got up and basically just said, like, let's not do anything about it. Let's just keep going. That was was kind of the the big meeting, you know, culmination decision. And so they did. And so here we are. Well, they they still to this day, they do this, they put the blame on the public. And they do this with parents, they put the blame on the parents and say, your kid is obese or not healthy because of the choices you're making. But then behind the scenes, they aggressively uh, market to children. Think about the toys that are put in McDonald's and they put their favorite TV show on cereal boxes. 
I mean, there's trillions of dollars that go into the advertising and then they try to put the blame on the public. And look, I'm not saying that there's not personal responsibility here. But the problem is, is what we were saying in the very beginning is that this information is not widely available. And the way I see it is people are doing the best that they can. For the most part, I believe, at least I would love to believe that people generally want to be healthy and they're, they're trying their best, but they're genuinely so confused because there's so much advertisement money going behind all of this. And the food industry, big pharma, our healthcare system, all makes money off of people being sick. It's just unfortunately the reality of it. And so, and there's that sweet spot of keeping people just sick enough to where you don't die, but you're on medication for life, you're addicted to their Doritos, you're addicted to their Coca-Cola, and not living a healthy, fulfilled life, but not having any idea that there's any other way. Right, right. Just pump them full of drugs and keep them a perpetual customer, right? Yeah, exactly. There's the other piece too that is interesting. You know, your microbiome, you mentioned the soil biome, we have our own microbiome. And talk about how that plays into it. Because people who have their microbiome set by certain dietary habits will inevitably lean towards those foods. So talk about that. Okay, so first of all, our microbiome, it's kind of like... I don't know. I feel like some people find this kind of freaky to think about, but your microbiome is literally populated with good and bad bacteria, but the bad bacteria is not necessarily bad in the sense that you want to eradicate it. You need there to be a good balance of good and bad. You just never want it to be more bad because then obviously that's when it causes issues. But this bacteria literally drives your eating choices and based on what your bacteria wants to eat and to be fed will cause certain cravings. So for example, if you're Uh, If you eat a really high sugar diet, you may have a higher level of candida in your body, which is going to drive those sugar cravings. And then you're just going to crave more sugar because the bacteria wants to live. That's how it thrives. So that's what's driving your eating habits. And then on top of that, you think about what I said earlier, where these pesticides and herbicides are damaging the good bacteria or all the bacteria in the microbiome of the soil. Well, it's doing the exact same thing in our bodies. And this is what I never understood because I remember learning this really early on that the actual mechanism behind and the reason why we started using these herbicides and pesticides was to kill these bugs. And then you think about how we are more bugs than we are human cells. Like we are covered in trillions of bacteria. And so to me, what drives me crazy is I'm like, how did we never think like, oh, I wonder what this will do to our bacteria and the bugs in our body? Well, I can tell you right now that it's doing the exact same thing and it's killing off all of our good and bad bacteria. And this is why people are pushing probiotics so hard now because we need to replenish back the the bacteria that we've lost from all sorts of things, you know, but but probably most notably is the pesticides. Um, So that's a huge one. And then also our gut health is uh, if there is something wrong with your gut, then everything else starts to go out of line. And there are, there's such a multitude of symptoms. I could never even name all of them, but anything from like eczema to psoriasis, if you're having acne, if you're having any sort of skin issues, um, any sort of digestive issues, of course, um, joint pain. Like, I mean, I could go on like any sort of weird unexplained symptom that you might be having could possibly be connected to your gut health. Yep. 
brain microbiome or uh, depression, all of that. It's, li- it's all linked. Yes, that's a really important part. Sorry to uh, interrupt you, but there's also um, something called the vagus nerve, and it goes directly from your gut to your brain, which is why they call the gut the second brain, because what happens in your gut actually is directly correlated with your brain as well. So they say if your gut is out of whack, it can, like you said, lead to depression, anxiety, all sorts of mental disorders as well. Mm-hmm. And the biome that you set as a child, so if your child is eating a lot of junk food, a lot of processed food, a lot of these highly you know processed hyperpalatable foods, and their biome shifts according to that diet as a child, it sets the biome for life like that. It's alterable, but that is really like your first 10 years is what you're going to get. And that's what you get to contend with. And that for I spent my first 10 years on antibiotics straight. So like, I don't even have a biome. (laughs) And it led to all kinds of health issues down the line, right? So it's, I mean, that's where people that's where going back to the parental responsibility, understanding what you're feeding your child as a small child, especially is going to impact them through life. And you mentioned the pesticides and the glyphosate damaging the soil microbiome. It also talk about mitochondria because mitochondria are bacterium. And what does glyphosate do to that? Oh, I mean, it completely destroys them. And our mitochondria is our the powerhouse of the cell. That's literally what keeps our whole body running. It's our batteries, essentially. Yeah, it's yeah. really frightening. I mean, it, and it's it's gotten to a point where later on in the episode, I do want to talk about some things that, because I don't want this to be all like doom and gloom, but I do really want to sound the alarm because it's very frightening. I mean, they're finding glyphosate in the placenta, in, in mom's placentas, um, they're also finding it in our drinking water. We're finding it in organic food now. Uh, for those who don't know, the reason why I buy organic more than anything else is to avoid glyphosate because glyphosate's not legally allowed to be sprayed on organic crops. However, that being said, it still ends up in there a little bit because it, you know, farm runoff, it's in the water and, you know, it's getting blown to other farms. I mean, it's really, it's widespread and it's frightening. Right. And people don't think about it. My husband doesn't think about it. We have a creek that runs through our property and our dogs like to play in it in the summer when it's hot. Uh, One of the dogs is a lab, so she loves the water. And I was like, you do understand that that creek is just laden with glyphosate. So my dog Mm. is swimming in it and then coming in the house and like, great, we're all going to get cancer. (laughs) (laughs) And the cancer rates, actually, they've done studies in Napa, you know, the cancer rates out in wine country are high. So it's, it's real. And not to again, not to scare the audience, but like, this is how insidious it is now in our modern world. And so you do these awesome reels, you've done these you know, I see you talk like, here's the conventional version of this. And then here's a better choice. And I've seen people hate on you. And get really mad, like, well, what if you can't afford it? And it's always about price and, and access. And privilege. And I, we to- yes, and privilege. And we, we totally <sighs> understand that. But I will say this. I was, out of, I, was, I was bankrupt. I was just out of school. I had a little girl. I had no money. I had just finished two programs. I had to file for bankruptcy because I went through a divorce. Um, turns out that's a really common thing for women to do when they get divorced. Turns out most every doctor will file bankruptcy at some point. So the judge was very kind and he I was crying and he said, you know, you actually had a 50% chance on this side and a 50% chance on that side. So like 100% chance, it's okay. You know, like this is not uncommon. And I had to scale things way, way, way back. And I got to a point where I couldn't afford to feed my daughter and myself and have our whole 
I was just starting my practice. Things were tight. I made sure she ate impeccably well, and I made sure she got the best food first. Um, it's a matter of delegating your finances. And Absolutely. To, to me, that was, you know, I had a beater car with no car payment that I paid for in full that, you know, it didn't, it broke down a lot. It was not a fun time, but I was damned if I was going to put junk in my child's mouth and, and in my mouth, it was just too important. And so I don't say that to sound like higher than mighty, mightier than thou or whatever, but it's a matter of delegation of funds. And I, I realize even that in some cases people can't afford, but where you can, where would you say to put the organic funds? Is it more important to put it on produce? Is it more important to put it on meats and animal products? What do you tell people? Well, okay. I, I want to take a step back and, and share a little bit about my experience as well. And also I made a comment about the privilege thing that I want to clarify because I don't want anyone to think that I'm being an asshole about this, but the reason why I don't like those comments, because so basically anytime I will talk about organic, I will get a comment that says like, um, oh, you know, your your privilege is showing right now or organic is just for the elite. And the reason why this makes me so mad, not for me, but what makes me so upset about it is I'm like, okay, so now you're saying that uh, poor, uh, lower like socioeconomic family just shouldn't be allowed to have food without poison. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm fighting for everyone to have this. I realize it's a problem right now. It's why I'm speaking out about it because it's a massive problem. And I believe that it is a basic human right to have clean food without poison on it. So I want to clarify that because it really, it makes me so upset because I, I feel like um, there should not be any other option. It should just be organic food and that's it. That should be the only option. Um, so when I was fresh out of college, um, I was working two, I think I was working three jobs at one point. I mean, I was literally getting up at 6am going to one and then going straight from there to the other job. And then sometimes to a third or going straight home and getting like five to six hours of sleep a night. And I was bare. I mean, I was barely making rent and I will tell you, I still somehow managed to buy organic and clean food. And what I did that really helped me was I completely cut eating out entirely because that takes a huge uh, dip in your budget. And, you know, and, and for those listening, like Postmates, I mean, I know people that Postmates like three or four times a week. And I'm like, that's expensive. It's, it's expensive. I mean, just stop that alone and go to the grocery store and you will be so shocked at how much you will save. Also, another thing that really helped me is I would bounce around to a couple different stores. Um, I would go to like Trader Joe's and I knew that they had, you know, X, Y, and Z that was cheaper. And so I would get it there. And then I'd go to Target because I knew that they had X, Y, and Z that was cheaper there. And, you know, Walmart has a really big organic section now. And actually Costco is one of the biggest sellers of organic food now, which is amazing. So if you have a Costco membership, that's a great way to do it as well. I know Aldi is really good about organic food. So there's a lot of places that are selling organic food for a much more affordable price. Yes, it is going to be a little bit more expensive than conventional, but generally I've looked at the prices. It's usually around 50 cents more. Uh, it's, it's not like, I, I don't want to invalidate people's financial struggles, but in, for, for most people, I, I feel like that is probably, um, a, that you can do it. You know, if you cut back on some other things, Another thing, so I, I have a podcast as well, and my producer and I, you know, Drake, we started a series where we called it Organic for Everyone, and we started remaking favorite uh, fast food items, but making them organic. And I have to tell you, Tina, so we went into this being like, 
okay, we're going to try to like, what did we do? Um, we did like a McDonald's, I don't know what it was called, like whatever the quarter pounder or whatever their burger is. And we did the full thing. We did like burgers, fries and everything. And we are, we set out to make it cheaper and every single thing was organic. And on top of that, we always shopped at places that were accessible for everyone. So we were going to like Ralph's, Vaughn's, you know, places that we knew, Trader Joe's, places we knew that people had access to. And we were both shocked. Like we went in being like, oh, okay, this like might be tight. And we we redid a Taco Bell thing. We did all these different food items. And Tina, I was shocked. It's actually really shocking. McDonald's and Taco Bell and all these places are not as cheap as people think anymore. We made an entire burger dinner with fries. And we even got these like sugar-free Zevia, the like uh, Stevia sodas. For, I think it was like $22 or something. And then we got the exact same meal at McDonald's and it was like $33 for a meal of four. And every single thing we bought was organic. So I think a lot of it comes down to education. And like you said, is reallocating funds and, um, you know, stop going out to eat because they're not serving organic food unless if it explicitly says on the menu. And, you know, that that may suck for a little bit, but your health is worth it. And also hopefully you'll get to a place later on where you can afford to go out to eat. But it really is about allocating your funds and making it a priority. True. And I'm at the age where I've had too many friends die of cancer in front of me. Mm. And when you're, I mean, I'm, I'm edging up on 50 now and it's, you know, you don't, you do not hop out of bed as quickly as my husband and I do if you don't eat spectacularly. Like you just don't, everything hurts, everything creaks. And it's real obvious when you get a, just a little too much sugar or a little too much, whatever. Think about alcohol bills. How much are, how much is, how much are people drinking? That is a tremendous expense. And, and I'm not trying to lecture anyone. I've just, I've done it all. Like I have done every version of this. I've done the, I was poor and I lived in bankruptcy version. I've done the, I've been drinking too much and I spent all my money on alcohol in college instead of real food and got super sick and autoimmune disease. You know, I've done every iteration of this and I've helped patients through this. And it's like, at the end of the day, and I'll just come out and say this and not to, I'll probably lose followers on this, but like, what do you, how do you fucking want to live? Like, that's it. Like, get your shit together. This is not a dress rehearsal. It's not fun when you watch a 50 year old friend of yours that you've loved for decades, like just get cancer and die. And you saw them eating shit their whole lives. And you're like, hmm, I'm not shocked. You know, like, it's terribly sad. And then you see really healthy people have similar outcomes. And you wonder, why is God cruel? Why is this happening? Right. But at the end of the day, it's like, you're young enough that you can still play and have that those bands, you know, your tolerance bands for illness are much broader. But as we get older, they get tighter and they get more brittle and they just don't stretch as well and we don't bounce back as well. And so it's really important for my husband and I to be able to literally just hop out of bed and have vibrancy and vitality and not have anything hurt, not have to take like a few painful steps to get moved. I've been there. I've been to the point where it's like I had to get up and I had so much pain. I had to hold the wall when I sneezed because I thought my pelvis was going to snap in half and I had terrible pain in the balls of my feet from autoimmune disease. And I would just hobble around for about 30 and in my thirties, you know, I was living this way and it, it just came down to a point where I'm like, I got to get my shit together. This is not how I choose to live. And once you do start feeling really good and make, and it really comes down to 
nutrition, like a hundred percent. What you put in your mouth is dictates so much of this. You cannot outrun your fork. So this isn't just about exercise. And when you start feeling good, you don't want to lose it. Right. And so that's exactly it. I say this as the older version of you, like this is no joke. And I know you had your health issues in your twenties and you were struggling and you had to, you know, you had to find your way too. And it's like, once you do, you don't want to go back. Well, that's exactly it. And you also, once you get to this new place of health, you look back and you realize that you didn't even know how sick you felt at the time. I think so many people are walking around not even understanding or conscious of how much better they could actually feel because they have no uh, comparison. Right. And I sometimes wonder if they even want it to be, I've sat with patients before in the room with them and I go over the same thing over and over, round and round we go. And I finally look at them and I'm like, do you even want this? Like, what are we doing here? Do yeah. you do you want that? You know, and it's always, oh, I can't stop the sugar addiction. I can't stop this. And it's like, dude, what you put in your mouth is everything. How mm-hmm. do we get them to come around to understanding that? If not for them, then for their children, right? Because they're setting the example in the household for the child. I know, I did it. I, uh, I was too busy to cook. I was one of those parents. I was too busy to cook. And so while I ate well, I was eating out well. So I was probably ingesting way more seed oils than I should have. And that was causing some issues. And I would make quick foods, but not foods that my daughter necessarily wanted to eat. And she kind of got in this situation where she didn't want my food. She liked her dad's food, but she didn't like my food. We were divorced. Uh, so I quit cooking because I didn't want to cook for one. And I'm I'm ashamed I did that because I I just I ha- I was too busy <laughs> I was like in two programs in school and I was then I was starting my practice and all that and she's in her 20s now she's in her early 20s it turns out she's actually a really good cook she likes to cook but I did not imprint her palate correctly if you will and she has some health struggles and I think back and I think man if I had just taken a half an hour a day to I made her nice little lunches all the time but I didn't cook her delicious dinners. And I wish I had because I think that that was a my responsibility to do I should have done it and b, it would have changed her health outcomes. I know it in her teens and and you know, and it's something you think about like, okay, well, we can always the beautiful news is we can always start from where we're at and move forward. Uh, But it, it does amaze me how much people don't seem to want, they want the outcome, but they don't want the journey to get there. They don't want the workload to... Well, because it's hard. Let's be real. It's hard. You know, it. once you get in the rhythm and the routine and you get addicted to how good you feel in your body, it becomes easy. For me, it's not hard. It's it's really easy for me. But in the beginning, it was hard and it was a struggle. And the the reality of the situation that we all have to come, come to terms to is that we make it very hard in this country to do it. Once you accept that and you know that... You're just like, okay, well, I'm going to do my best to combat that, you know? And to be honest, that was part of my driving force because I was a little, uh, you know, kind of like F the, F the man, F the system kind of thing. Like they're trying to poison me and I want to do better for me. So like, I'm going to show them, you know, and if that's the attitude you have to take on in order to clean up your act, great. Whatever you need to do to like convince yourself and pump yourself up to do it, do it because the reality of the situation that I think a lot of people don't want to look at or really accept as truth is that these food companies do not care about your health. They don't care about your child's health. They don't care about you and your family. You're just another number to them. You know, they see dollar signs. That's all they see. 
And, you know, I'm not saying there's this big nefarious thing happening in, you know, in the background. Maybe there is. I don't really know. But I think there is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that there is. Well, because you think about it, like a, a sick population is easily controllable. Yep. And like we said earlier, really easy to make money from, you know, it's all a system, right? You get sick from the foods and then you go to the doctor um, and then they load you up with pills and then it's just kind of this like vicious cycle. And there's a lot of money to be made off of you. And that's another driving force for me is I'm like, I'm not letting someone else make money off of my my sickness. Mm-hmm. That was me. That was my driving that was it. I was like, this is ridiculous. And yeah. I don't. And maybe vanity comes in here, too. I think oh, that that's, absolutely. A, you know, it's it's like pain and vanity seem to be the big driving factors in my practice of how I could motivate people. They were they were done with the pain. They didn't recognize themselves in the mirror anymore. They didn't like how they looked or felt. Uh, beautiful women who didn't recognize their faces anymore because of the years of sickness had taken its toll. So that that is a big driving factor for people. So I, I, I ask you that because I've never figured out. I've done all kinds of training and motivational speaking and this and that. And I still cannot figure out what will motivate somebody past that point of like getting stuck in this wheel of like knowing you're being poisoned, knowing, yeah, it is hard, okay, but we do hard things. And then like, how do we get people to see that Because there's a lot of people in our camp and we talk to our echo chamber, right? Our followers are like, yeah, we're with you. We do all the same things too. And that's great. And we we reinforce it for them and they love to hear it. But I really am interested in speaking to the people who, like my assistant um, shared with me about a family member who follows me, who has some health struggles and is, you know, used to be a more... uh, like have a healthier, you know, body fat distribution and now is struggling with that. And like, how do we get those people on board? Yeah. Well, the people who really need it. There's a lot of stuff happening right now too. One, um, people for some reason cannot wrap their brain around the fact that these companies don't care about them. And I don't know where the disconnect comes from because for me, when I started learning all of this, it was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. But for some reason, there's some sort of cognitive dissonance happening where I don't know if, if we have grown up as a society thinking that someone's going to come save us um, or that we're always protected or, you know, because I hear all the time, like, I'll, I'll share something about Monsanto or whatever. And people are like, oh, they wouldn't allow that. I'm like, you are in for a ride of your life when you find out the truth of what is really happening then. Because you do not even know half of what they are actually allowing. And then, you know, on top of that, I hope I'm not going to get your listeners to hate me for this, but we have this movement right now where we're just uh, telling people like, oh, it's totally fine. You don't need to work on your weight or, you know, getting healthy or anything. You're beautiful as you are. And look, I'm not saying that people are not. I am such a believer of um, loving your body, no matter what part of your journey you're on in life, right? We only have one life. So you might as well love yourself because you're the only one you've got. Right. And we do things to make sure that, uh, to enforce our self-love and care and everything. But there is nothing on this planet that shows you love yourself more than taking care of your health. And what I don't like about this movement is that we are coddling people into unhealthy behaviors instead of saying, Hey, you know what? It's okay that you're here right now. But let's get you to somewhere better so that you have energy to get out of bed every day. So you have energy to play with your kids so that you feel better, so that you're not just dragging ass throughout the whole day. Like food is energy and food is what gives you life. And 
like I just said, we only have one life, or, or depending on your faith and your beliefs, like some of us believe we only have this one life. So do you want to waste it just feeling like crap half of your life? Or do you want to actually be able to have energy and do the things you want to do? I mean, I look at my parents. My parents are 65 and they still ski, they hike. I mean, my mom and my dad go on like three hour hikes with me in Colorado. It's incredible. And then I look at some of my friends' parents who can barely get out of bed or, you know, a lot of them are like bedridden, couch ridden, whatever. Not all of them, but it's just the stark contrast. And my friends are like, your parents go skiing with you? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. And my dad's like, I'm skiing until I'm 90. I'm like, great. I love this because... You know, and and I look up to them as like, I want to be like that when I'm in my 60s because they yeah. 60 is not that old. No, no, gosh, no. It's not that far away from me. Yeah. <laughs> I still feel like I'm 25 and I'm like, wait, my body is not responding the way that it's supposed to. But honestly, I'll say this, whenever my body is not responding the way that I expect it to, it's always due to something I put in my mouth in the last three 100%. days. 100%. Every time I'm like, oh, I why why do I have crippling anxiety today? Oh, I wonder why. I know what I ate the last three days. I'm pretty, you know, I I I pay attention. It's it's also I I say this because it is so freaking empowering to feel good. Like my lights are on, my I can hear and see what's going on around me really well. Maybe that's why we can see the nonsense that's happening right now in the world. (laughs) It's like our instincts. Well, it's instincts, right? Like instincts are on. And I would say that to patients. I'm like, we just got to get your instincts on. Once your instincts turn on, you're going to rock this. But if you take a dog, I mean, we've got, we are to a point as a society where the bulk of our pets have diabetes now Mm. because our pets are so obese and sick. Our pets are now dealing with Western human diseases. And we now have medications for it and vaccinations for it. It's crazy town. What we're what it's just crazy when you start looking at the stats on dogs, pets. It's it's wild. So there's nothing more empowering than deciding to take your nutrition seriously and then doing it. My husband came up to me today and he showed me how he had to punch an extra hole in his belt to make it smaller. He's so proud of himself. And he's been really being better than I even about his diet. And he's just really doing a good job. And I said, well, where were you when you met me? And he showed me and it was like this far out. And I said, well, you're welcome. I helped you lose like four and a half inches. (laughs) And he just is so empowered by it. Right. And he makes these decisions for himself and he learns and he listens and he, he follows you and he follows a couple other people. And he says, you know what so-and-so said? And I'm like, right on. I just, and if I want him to hear something and I don't want to be, cause you know, coming from me, it's like Debbie Downer all the time being the wife. So I send him I'll send him your reel or I'll send him carnivore MDs or I'll send him somebody else's content and he'll ingest it. And he'll, and then I hear him talking to a sibling or talking to a friend and he'll be like, did you know that lectins and blah, 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 blah. And he starts, it's so cute. So he's learning. (laughs) And that really is it. You guys, you said it earlier, learn nutrition and teach it. Like do one, you know, see one, do one, teach one. Like it's, you got to teach it. And when you own something and you start to share that information out, it's really empowering. And the family unit, I think being involved is critical as well. We can't just have one person in the family saying, I'm going to really choose to eat better now. And then the husband's against it and the kids are against it. We've got to get the whole family involved. I know there's been movements. I mean, boy, they tried to cut off poor Michelle Obama's head when she tried to. (laughs) Oh, and I have something to say about that, actually. Yeah, please do. That people probably don't know. No, I love that was amazing. (laughs) Um, So everyone remembers, I believe it was called Let's Move. 
And, you know, her the very beginning, the intent behind that, Tina, was actually to get people to move. Let's move away from processed foods. And then General Mills, Kraft, like all these big food companies got a hold of her and they changed her narrative to be, let's move our bodies. And then it became all about exercise. And it was like, oh, don't worry about your food. Just move your body. You'll be fine. This episode of the Dr. Tina Show is brought to you by my personal line of products that you can find inside my online store. My number one selling product is Easily Relax Tonic. What is Relax Tonic? Relax Tonic is an innovative powdered drink mix that reminds me a whole lot of the cherry-flavored Kool-Aid I drank as a kid. Only this Kool-Aid won't brainwash you and might actually help you make better decisions. It contains a blend of ingredients that promotes a relaxed mood by supporting the body's natural neurotransmitter balance and neuronal stabilization. It contains the inhibitory neurotransmitter GABA, supports hormonal balance, healthy blood pressure levels already within normal range, and healthy glucose metabolism. Relax Tonic aims to promote a calm, relaxed, well-balanced, emotional, and physiologic state. While I can't make any specific health claims, tell you how to dose it, or make individual health recommendations, I can tell you how they work. As always, check with your provider before beginning any supplement regimen. Listeners of the Dr. Tina Show can enjoy 10% off Relax Tonic by using the code RELAX10 in all capital letters over inside my store at store.drtina.com. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A. Again, head to store.drtina.com and be sure to use code RELAX10 for 10% off. I was in chiropractic college and I was sitting in bone pathology and bone pathology is pretty intense. Like it's, you get to bone path, I think at like quarter six or seven. So you're well into your medical education. And then people are like, hang on, it's going to be rough for bone path. And bone path is basically looking at a bunch of x-rays in a dark room and identifying disease processes from the inside. So I was in naturopathic college learning about them from the outside and on labs. And then I'm in chiropractic college learning about them in the x-ray room from actual images. You learn a lot from people's bones. There's a lot that they show. And I would always raise my hand. I'd be sitting in the back of this lecture hall and I'd be like, hey, what does diet have to do with this? And we'd be learning rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic or any of these like crippling, life devastating, like stuff you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy kind of diseases. And I'd be like, hey, what does diet have to do with this? And they'd be like, oh, nothing. Don't worry about that. And this is in 2008 in chiropractic college, which is supposed to be holistic. And I'm like, are you kidding? And now they, they've they kind of gone back to being a bit more holistic, thank God. But like, how is it not dietary? It's like 100% it, dietary. <laughs> it reminds me of that meme that was circulating that's like a doctor and a patient. And the doctor's like, you have a disease caused by your diet. And the patient's like, should I change my diet? And they're like, no, we have a pill for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes. what? That is literally our healthcare system in a meme. Yes. In one meme. You're so right. It's, it's, <laughs> ins- it's, ins- I know it's insanity. Well, hopefully our long rant just now, I, I know we've got more to talk about, but hopefully this gets people, I want them to get pissed off. Yeah. Even if they get pissed off at me or you, that's fine. I want so, I want people to hear this information and be angry because they've been lied to and poisoned and it's moved them into a docile, controllable state where they're now dependent on big pharma, which in my opinion was the plan all along. Like 100%. All, big ag, big pharma, big food, they're all in bed together. It's all... I'm sure if we sat down and picked apart the board members, they'd probably be similar people. And it's it's, a revolving door. Yes. Or have had some, I mean, look at uh, artificial sweeteners and the whole history behind artificial sweeteners. And and that's a whole other podcast, but it's, 
frightening. And it's when you actually stop to read the books and look into it, it's terrifying. And it's more than just and people like you said, oh, they would never do that. They wouldn't allow that in our food supply. It's like Splenda, for instance, was actually an insecticide. It was in a lab as an insecticide. And from what I understand, there was a language barrier and they said, test it. And he tasted it instead. And in tasting it, it was super, super sweet. So they pushed it to market. It's an insecticide. What is that doing to our microbiome and to our mitochondria? And we now, all these years later, it's, it's always the, it's, it's always the bro science guys and their fricking artificial sweetener addiction that come at me on the Instagram and they love to do it. And they're always like, there's nothing wrong with artificial sweeteners, blah, blah, blah. All you have to do is show them the studies that have come out in the past few years showing what artificial sweeteners do to microbiome in your gut. And like, oh, yeah. but then their brains don't want to register what you said, which is the premise of naturopathic medicine, which is all disease starts in the gut. So it's like, these are such big concepts for people to have to piece together. And I understand that it can be overwhelming. But bottom line is what you put in the pie hole... <laughs> dictates the whole orchestra, right? Exactly. And if you take away one thing from this entire episode, just know that these large food corporations do not have your health in mind when they're creating these foods. Whatever you need to do to understand that and get that into your brain, that will serve you very well. Because trusting these companies blindly and just thinking that they are producing foods and thinking like, oh, this would never come to market if it was that bad for me or whatever. That's a fallacy. I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you, but that for me personally, that is what I had to come to terms with. And then everything changed for me. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the same for Big Pharma. Yes, exactly. Same right. thing. We, we are um, cattle in a herd of financial production. And that's, and I, the punk rock girl in me, which I know exists in you, was like, fuck that. I'm not, I will yep. not be a pawn in their game. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it reminds me of that Moby video. I posted that as a real back in the beginning of the pandemic where everyone's, it's a cartoon and everyone's staring at their phone. And they're like walking through the world in gray, black and white and gray and just staring at their phone and like falling into pits and not even noticing it. I mean, that's, it's the assembly line, right? Like keep them, keep them slow, fat and dumb and sick. And they are much easier to control. And I've said that since I was 16 years old, Courtney. And my mom would always be like, oh, you're, you know, you're being a little too harsh on people. You don't give them, they don't think as, they don't think like you. They're not as smart as you. And I'm like, mom, people are falling for this shit. And it's obvious It's really obvious if you just look at it and no one wanted to hear it. And here we are, easily controlled society dependent on big pharma. That's like, how do we get out of this? Well, let's start with food. So what do you suggest for people? Like, okay, the average consumer, they're listening right now and they're just like, holy smokes, this this just blew my mind. Where do I start? Okay, so... First and foremost, my biggest thing I always tell people is let's just get back to real food. And what do I mean by real food? Foods in their whole natural state. So obviously, you know, produce, fruits, vegetables, uh, meat. If you're buying meat, you want to get a good high quality organic grass fed meat. If you if your budget is just so tight, there's no way um, at least try your best to get organic meat or grass fed meat. If you can't get, you know, the combination, um, I know places like Trader Joe's, Walmart, Target, Costco, all of them are carrying forms of organic meat. So, um, I would try your hardest to do organic if you can, because, uh, the non-organic meat 
the cows, the the meat itself is just of a lower quality. Uh, it has a higher level of omega sixes versus omega threes because of they're eating grains instead of what they were meant to eat, which is grass. And on top of that, they're eating that Roundup Ready corn, so they're getting a dose of pesticides in there, and they're getting injected with antibiotics and hormones because they want to grow them and fatten them up in a shorter amount of time so that they can send them to slaughter quicker. Um, so the focus is really just getting back to um, if you can if you can think about like, what did my ancestors eat, right? Like even what was my grandmother eating? You know, your grandmother was not eating Doritos. So that's a great way to kind of check yourself to ask yourself that question. And then uh, another thing is as far as like packaged, so like processed foods, I always tell people this, look at the, the ingredients on the back. If you could technically buy all of those ingredients while you're standing in that grocery store and make it at home, I'm not saying you have to, but just if you could, if you recognize all those ingredients, like um, there are these cassava chips that I buy and I'm like, okay, it's literally cassava flour. Or maybe that's not a good idea. Cause I feel like cassava flour is not as well known, but I feel like you can kind of find it anywhere. Um, there are these almond flour crackers that I buy and I look at the back of the ingredients and it's literally like almonds, salt, um, rosemary. Cause they're like this rosemary flavor, uh, you know, baking soda. Basically the point is, is that if you could buy all those ingredients, then that, I would say that that process box is fair game. You can buy it. That's okay. What really gets us into trouble is the stuff like, you know, the Doritos or, um, you know, obviously the Coca-Cola cause it's really high in sugar, but things that carry all these ingredients that you're like, what is TBHQ and where would I buy this? You know? So you put that back on the shelf and that's kind of your guiding. Um, that's really what I use to guide myself through the grocery store. I love that. I have a similar rule. It's got to be five ingredients or less. And I have to be able to pronounce them all. And I have to know what they all are. Yeah. Like, I just have to know what they are. <laughs> exactly. If it's like polysorbate 64, blah, blah. I, don't, I have no idea what that is. And I've like, studied chemistry. You have to Google it. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny. So people always apply that. And then I love this joke because people are like, yeah, but acai is a good fruit. But what the hell is all, like a lot of people don't know what acai is. They'll see it and they're like, what is that? So yes, but you are right. You can usually apply that and it it works. I try to avoid anything processed, actually. I just try I to. Too. Somebody said it in my Instagram on the comments. They said, and I'm not a super religious person, but I love this. She said, if, if it comes in the form God made it in, eat it. Or others have said, if it comes in the form off the farm, but, you know, if it looks like what it came, what it looked like when it came off the farm after it had been processed. Exactly. Uh, well, processed, meaning the animal had been deceased. And <laughs> yeah. if it was... <laughs> If it was once alive, you can buy it because that applies to plants and animals. True, true. So yes, I think those are really good rules. Um, I like to also say shop the periphery of the grocery store, yeah, although they're one. messing with the periphery of the grocery store. Sometimes I go into grocery stores now and the periphery is all soda. So I can't really... It's because they caught on to us. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're like, us. we're going to confuse them and put some stuff in the periphery now. <laughs> yeah. But you know, hit the produce, hit the butcher, yeah. hit the you know, hit the big, the big things, stay out of the middle lanes. The middle lanes tend to have a lot of crap that shouldn't go in your mouth. Yeah. Well, and don't be scared of, so there's kind of this movement right now, especially with a veganism movement. And look, I'm, I'm not trying to vilify. Um, if anyone listening is a vegan, that's totally fine. I, I fully believe in bio-individuality and everyone eating whatever is best for their body. But I do think there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of people being um, fed a lot of misinformation. And I just believe in informed consent, right? And there's a lot of vilifying going around of meat, eggs, milk. 
And what's happening is we're trying to blame modern day diseases on foods that have been around for thousands of years. So I always try to tell people, I'm like, think about this logically. Just take a second to sit down and really think about this. Humans have been eating meat, eggs, butter, milk for thousands of years. And we have only recently in the last like 30 years seen this massive spike in these modern day diseases. Well, what are all the things that we have been adding to our food supply recently? Well, a bunch of preservatives, natural flavors, um, fillers, seed oils, uh, pesticides, which is why can, or, uh, organic food is so important. Um, what are some other things? Those are kind of the big ones. Uh, artificial fats. Yeah, I was going to say fake fats. Yeah. I'm old enough to remember the advent of all this. This didn't exist when I was a kid. And I remember it coming into being in the early 80s and the mid 80s and then the late 80s when it really started ramping up. And I, I'm old enough to have seen the shift in people. Like I, I lived in Southern California and everybody was thin and fit and tan. And then everybody got obese. Mm. Everybody got obese in front of my eyeballs. I, I saw it happen, including my family members. So I was like, something is wrong. <laughs> something well, is going wrong. It's, yeah, it's what Robin O'Brien is famously known for quoting. And she said, um, are we allergic to the food or are we allergic to what we've done to it? And what happened was, I don't know the exact time frame, but I think it was around the 90s, they started just completely messing with our food system. They started uh, throwing GMOs in. without, and This was without telling the public, by the way. They started administering, uh, what is it called? R, I believe it's RBST that they inject the cows now with, which is a growth hormone. That's another big one that's been connected to cancer and all sorts of stuff, which is why, again, organic milk is really important because it's not allowed to have that in there. Um, but we just slowly started incorporating all these things, like sneaking it into our food. I mean, I will never forget this. So my mom, um, when her mom was still alive, she we had gone and visited her once. And my mom opened the cabinet and she was like, oh, my God, she still has saltines and Ritz and all this stuff. And I remember her sitting down, my mom, and she said, look, mom, I'm going to show you how to buy like a healthier organic version of these. If you still like really want your saltines, let's go get a version that's just the like organic wheat and salt. And she went and she showed her the label and she goes, mom, this is not the same label of food that you were buying 20 years ago. They snuck in all these preservatives and everything. And I remember my grandma being like, oh my God, this used to never be here. And that's kind of what happened is that people had all these uh, brands and products that they learned to love and they grew up with. And then all of a sudden, without them even knowing, they completely changed the ingredient list and it was no longer just the wheat and salt or whatever it used to be. It had all these preservatives, it had hydrogenated oils in it, which are now banned, but it was, ugh. Oh, the hydrogenated oils. That was, yeah, that was my entire lifetime. I think hydrogenated oils, we could probably point to that and high fructose corn syrup for destroying the planet. Yeah, that's another one. Literally. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and going back to what's happening in modern day, same goes with vaccines, right? Same, yeah. like same kind of thing. Well, like, well, it was, I remember when I was questioning for the first time as a, as a mom, I was questioning my daughter being fully vaccinated because she was starting to have some issues as a infant and around 15 to 18 months. And she was getting weird. Things were getting weird. And her father and I were separated. And I said, Hey, we might want to consider an alternate schedule, like where we space these out. We, cause she's fully vaccinated. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but we, yeah. I definitely needed to not do what we were doing. And he said, well, they were fine for me. So they're fine for her. And I showed him his schedule and I showed him 
her schedule for vaccinations. And it was, you know, obviously significantly more for her. And I was like, this is what she's getting pumped into her versus what you did. And I think it's the same with the food supply, right? Like it just kind of happened and people thought, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And if I survived it, then it'll be fine. And it's like, you know, Procter and Gamble is not the same group it was when our grandparents were young and that was really it, right? The boomers, they, the convenient food, the convenience of foods for the boomers in the suburbs and the whole, that's where this all started. Oh yeah. It was the, the women going back to work. It was also, there was war. Um, and so they were trying to figure out a way to like, uh, you know, get more food out to people for cheaper. And I mean, there was, there was a couple different things that happened that just completely destroyed our food. But a lot of it, you know, the problem is, is convenience. Convenience is killer. Unfortunately, you know, like we're, just buying all these processed foods to um, help the working mom. And I, I'm not saying that to like, like shit on the working mom at all. But I'm just saying that that was part of what happened that changed the food system is that the mom was no longer in the kitchen kitchen and having enough time to cook, a you know, an elaborate meal from scratch. It was like we had to make these foods more convenient and easy. And, and what happened was we were cutting corners and having to put preservatives in there. And, you know, and then with grocery stores, they add a lot of these preservatives so that that bread or whatever it is can sit on the shelf and be okay for three months. Right. Right. And that's a big problem, too. Mm -hmm. And people aren't realizing what is going into that. I think the easiest solution for me has been just to simply avoid most anything that comes in a package if I can, if I can, and then figuring out well, here's a good one. I made a macaroni and cheese because I love your Instagram and I watch you make these delicious things. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm going to make something. So I couldn't find your mac and cheese recipe. So I went and found another one and it had all these very expensive imported cheese. And by the time I got done making it, I realized that it was like $12 a serving or something when I, and it was really ridiculous. And, I, and my husband and I were laughing. And so I didn't go back to, it's only like once every six months that I really need like that carb hit, Same. that macaroni and cheese hit. So I went and made some the other night and I used Tillamook cheese, which is not organic, but it's a higher quality and I know where it comes from at least. And, uh, did use some other organic cheeses in there, made a delicious mac and cheese. And it wasn't all organic, but it was homemade. It certainly was better than what would come out of a box or from somewhere else. And it was amazing. I was very impressed with myself because I'm not a good cook. And it just goes to show that we can take, and you do this so beautifully on your Instagram, you can take something that you love that's like a kind of a soul food or, you know, something that really feeds your soul or or hits those cravings and make it from scratch. And it doesn't take 10 hours and it doesn't take, you know, tons of money. Like you said, there's ways, there's ways to do that. I think that takes some creativity and just really for me, just getting off my ass and not being afraid of the kitchen. (laughs) Well, that's really what it is. You know, people need to be um, not so scared of failing in the beginning. You know, if you're so scared to go in the kitchen that you're going to fail, I mean, whatever, who cares, you know, just cook a couple meals for yourself, you'll get the hang of it. It's really not that hard. Or, you know, have a friend show you have a partner show you. Um, There's also YouTube videos. I mean, we live in this wonderful time that you can go Google a recipe, or, you know, follow someone that has uh, cookbooks. And I mean, they have a multitude of recipes. I follow so many amazing women that post so many amazing recipes. And they show you how to do it. You can go on YouTube, they teach you how to cook things. It really is not as hard and complicated as we've made it out to seem. And like you said, I'm going to kind of reiterate this again. This is one of my, this is what really helped me ease into a healthier lifestyle because in the beginning, um, the hardest thing for me was that I, I really loved my comfort foods, you know, like I didn't want to give up 
I was like, I'm not going to like never eat pizza or mac and cheese or a hot dog or whatever for the rest of my life. And what I did is I just started swapping things out. I get a really good organic. I have to eat gluten-free because I was actually diagnosed with a wheat allergy. Um, but if you don't have that, just get like a really good organic uh, pasta and, you know, an organic marinara sauce. Or if you want to make mac and cheese, like you said, get a good organic cheese or a Tillamook or something that you know is a good high quality. It doesn't even have to be that expensive. Right. And you can make it from scratch. If you don't know how to make it, Google it. Like, let's say your favorite food is me um, actually going back to earlier what we were saying about your food choices from your parents really shape you. There is an emotional component there that I won't really dive into. But my f- my comfort food to this day is my favorite meal that my mom used to feed me as a child, which was cheese tortellini with homemade pesto. Oh, my God. It's still to this day, like, if I'm having a horrible day, I'm like, I actually, (laughs) I literally last week texted a friend and I was like, oh, I guess I'm kind of having a a hard day. I didn't even realize until I was so gravitated towards, like, getting pesto pasta and was making it home. And then I was like, oh, I think I'm, like, kind of down today. It's like I really needed that, like, (laughs) comfort food, you know? But to the point is that you don't have to give up all these favorite foods. You can, you know, let's say you love nachos, get a good organic chip and organic cheese and refried beans and pile it up with all the good organic toppings. And there you go. It doesn't have to be that you're just eating. Uh, it's not like the the bodybuilders that just eat the bland boiled chicken with no salt and broccoli right. every day. That's not healthy either because that that takes a mental toll. Right. No, it's so true because once I got this mac and cheese done, it was so delicious. It was not super expensive and it wasn't $12 a serving. And <laughs> it was better than the original one I had made. And I realized like this was so much better than, because I always, I total discl- disclosure, I keep a box of Annie's gluten-free macaroni and cheese in the cupboard. It's like an emergency stash. It's I like having, <laughs> yeah, it's like having like half a Xanax in your purse just in case you never need it, but you're just happy you have it. <laughs> Exactly. In case, in case the world's melting down around you, you're like, okay, I can, I can manage. <laughs> so, um, or like I carry my CBD in my purse. So I always have that. And I didn't want that. I wanted something richer. And I realized if I just make something delicious, it didn't really take that long. It was so fulfilling and satisfying. And then I, it was just so much tastier than the box. Right. Yes. And so it hits the spot even better. And I don't eat that way regularly. Like that's not something yeah. I, I don't I don't carb load like that on the regular. But it was totally worth it. I lifted that day. I figured I earned my carbs. And it was just really, really satisfying. Like I felt very proud of myself. That's yeah. <laughs> I was very proud of myself for cooking this delicious meal that was so satisfying. My husband went back for seconds and I'm like, I am a domestic goddess, <laughs> Tina, who does not know how to cook. But it, it just, it hit the spot so well that I'm like, I don't need to do this every night. I just, exactly. you know, we just eat, honestly, and my audience know this, I'm, I'm more carnivore. Like we just eat meat and vegetables yeah. or mo- ma- mainly just meat. I eat a lot of meat and cheese. That's it. I don't eat I a do lot too. of vegetables even. Um, I feel better. I eat fruit. Yep. I eat honey. Like I keep it pretty like Paul Saladino carnivore MD style. And I think that that helps my gut the most, but processed foods immediately light me up immediately because oh, I've gotten so far away from them. Right. And like we, like we said, you don't know how good you f- can feel until you start to really double down on it. Well, and you know, what's really cool is your palate actually changes too. So if you can get yourself to a point where you just, you get off those foods for so long, they don't taste the same anymore. So actually I, 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 I this was such a proud moment for me. So I just got back from Mexico. I was there for a friend's wedding 
And the day we got there, we'd had a, like a really long travel day. We were just, we were getting into a car as me and a bunch of friends and we were driving an hour to our Airbnb and they were like, let's stop and get some snacks. So, you know, they, the guys like, we were like, why did we send the guys in? Anyways, we were, the girls were too tired to go in. So the guys come back with like Doritos and ruffles and all this crap. And they're like, you know, Oh my God, this is so good. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, uh, okay. Well, like they pass it to me and I'm like, I'll try one. I mean, I almost spit it out. I was like, Oh, this tastes like all like it kept saying was it tastes like chemicals to yeah. me. It literally did not even taste good. And I was so proud actually of that because I was like, wow, I've gotten to a point where this stuff does not taste like food to me anymore. And guess what? It isn't food. It isn't food. No, I do. I spit things out in the trash can. I don't have any problem with it. I just politely. Yeah. <laughs> If we weren't in a van, I would have spit it out as well. But I was like, I'm not going to spit this out on the floor in front of my friend. That's true. <laughs> but I was like, oh, this is so gross. Yeah, it tastes like chemicals. You're right. You get there and you, well, my dog, she, I try to give her these things and she, well, I don't try to, I should take that back. Yeah. If I, if I ever hand her anything and it's not meat, she's like, Pleh. she just spits it out. There's no, there's no, she's like, why are you doing this to me, mom? My dog does that too. It's so funny, but he'll run. It's so funny. He tricks me though into thinking he's going to eat it. He'll take <laughs> it and then he runs in the other room and then I find a little pile of like bell peppers and like stuff I tried to feed him. I'm like, dude. <laughs> he's not having it. He says, I'm a dog. Give me the yeah, meat. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, this has been so enlightening and helpful. I hope it's helpful for the audience. I know that a lot of it is just common sense to us, but it when you haven't looked at it, to the depths that you and I have, it's not always easy to see how completely corrupt our food supply is and how much that's impacting everything. I believe it is the root cause of what's going on today. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, we have a society of humans that are too sickly to handle a moderate virus. Yeah. It's really scary. And I hope that this serves as a wake up call for people to get their health in line. Yeah, for sure. Well, how can people find you so that they can do that? Tell us about your podcast and your Instagram and all the things. Yeah. So I also have a podcast. It's called Real Foodology and it's on all major podcast platforms. So if you're, you have a specific platform you love, we're probably on there. And I also have an Instagram. Again, it's Real Foodology. It's really easy to remember. It's just the science of real food. So Real Foodology. And um, yeah, that's mostly where I hang out, where you can find me. Yes. And your Instagram is awesome. You give all Thank kinds you. of good tips and recipes and thing. I have to, I'm going to make your mac. You got to send me your mac and cheese. I'll send it. Yeah. Maybe we should post it in the show notes. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> oh my God. I'll the other it. day I added grass fed organic hot dog. I've never felt like such a child in my life, but it was so good. That sounds amazing. So good. Yeah. Comfort food 101. Okay. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you, Courtney, so much for being here. You are a wealth of information. You are a lovely lady and I appreciate your friendship so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. This was great. I loved this. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Dr. Tina show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week.
This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.